In today's highly competitive mortgage industry, building profitable relationships with real estate agents is essential for success. However, finding effective ways to secure agent relationships can be a challenge. With so many mortgage loan originators vying for the attention of real estate agents, it can be difficult to stand out and establish meaningful connections. Our new case study featuring loan officer Chris Coghill is a must read. Chris has closed a remarkable 36 million in funded loans from agent referrals. And in this case study, he shares his proven strategies for building strong relationships with real estate agents and leveraging those relationships to drive more business. To get your hands on this resource, head over to locastudy.com and download your free copy of the case study today. You'll find actionable insights and practical tips that Chris used to close 36 million in funded loans from agent referrals and how you can too. Don't miss out. Go check it out right now. Visit locastudy.com and download your free copy today. Welcome to Mortgage Marketing Radio, brought to you by the Mortgage Marketing Institute, your number one source for truth in mortgage marketing. Hey, listeners, Jeff Zimfer. Welcome to another episode of Mortgage Marketing Radio. Hey, if I told you how much I appreciate you, I appreciate you. I appreciate you tuning in, listening in. I appreciate the emails that you send me that tell me that you are enjoying the content and sending me ideas, some, some special guests or topics that you'd like to feature uh, on future episodes. Hey, keep those coming, right? Love to hear your feedback. If you ever do want to reach out to me, it's very simple. Just email me. The email address is info at mortgagemarketinginstitute.com. And also for you listeners that are uh, leaving me reviews on iTunes. I appreciate you very much by doing so. And your t-shirts are in the mail. They're in the mail on the way to you. How do you get your own t-shirt if you're listening and wondering? Real simple. You just leave us a review on iTunes or Stitcher or on the blog at mortgagemarketinginstitute.com on the podcast page, Mortgage Marketing Radio. Here's how this works. Uh, I just got my new stock of t-shirts in, my Mortgage Marketing Radio Cool Plush, awesome looking t-shirts. And they're high quality t-shirts. They're not those junky t-shirts that you know shrink at the first round of the laundry. They feel good. They look good. People comment on them when they're out and about saying, gosh, darn it, you look sharp in that t-shirt. So people like Lynn Refert, Shani Morris, Nico Gramorosa, I just like saying that. Nico Gramarosa, getting a t-shirt at Cross Country Mortgage. Matello Kame, Brian Creeley, Vince Goodrich, Chris Nielsen, Philip Price. All y'all got t-shirts coming to you. Thank you for leaving the review, the positive review on the interwebs. And if you want to get yourself a t-shirt, that's how you do it. So leave a review. Then you email me, info at mortgagemarketinginstitute.com. Tell me you left a review. Send me your mailing address and your preferred shirt size and hoping we have them in stock. These things go out of stock like hotcakes. So again, this is just a way of thanking you for letting us know that you like the show. The more reviews, the better we can do and the more value we can bring to you. And speaking of bringing value to you, of course, this week's guest, an awesome dude, a cool cat, a guy who's, you know, just, I think, 
an all-around, not only an all-star producer, but a good example of what a quality mortgage professional looks and sounds like that puts clients' interests above their own. Who am I talking about? I'm talking about Ed Carnegie. Ed Carnegie with Cherry Creek Mortgage. Did you know Ed's closed over 4,000 loans in his career? That's right, 4,000 loans in, I think, about a 28-year career. And so what Ed and I unpack in this conversation here is really how to separate yourself from the um, you know the the typical path that most people come to you on, which is trying to put a mortgage in a silo or in a box of okay, I need a thirty year fixed, I need the lowest rate. Like Ed asks, you know, hey, if you ask people in a mall, come up to them, what's what's better, four point you know six or five percent? Well, people are conditioned to choose four point six, right? So what we and Ed and I talk about is how do we take the mortgage conversation out of this silo and be more fiscally literate. And what you'll hear Ed talk about is how he's self-educated himself through various resources to help him have a more fiscally literate conversation that here's the key thing. What we want to do is we want to teach our prospects and clients one thing, educate them on one aspect of financial planning that they didn't know before. So sometimes that'll be a mortgage related things and sometimes it won't. You'll hear Ed talk about some, you know, examples of maxing out 401ks and some of the misconceptions people have about that and actual examples of where most recently he was able to win a deal by being half a point higher than another lender. He was the fourth lender that they shopped and came to and he was able to win the transaction being a half a point higher. So if you want to learn more about that, listen to this week's episode, Advise Rather Than Sell. Help clients understand the long-term financial impact of a mortgage and then position you as being a key advisor in, in, in helping clients plan and understand their financial future, their picture, and their plan. So get into this week's episode. I'm glad you're here. If you like it, let us know. Leave us a review. And without further ado, let's get into this week's show. Ed, welcome to the show. Thanks, Jeff. Happy to be here. Happy to have you. Know you're busy. Great chatting with you the other day, and uh, we have got a lot to cover. You know, it's funny. Um, since you and I chatted the other day, I saw this this headline come over my email. I don't. You don't even know this, but uh, <laughs> the headline was, uh, "How did Ed Conicky close four thousand loans with my Boston accent?" Four thousand. Yeah, man. I didn't even know about that piece. <laughs> You've done so many loans, you lost track. There you go. <laughs> so for the listeners, real quick, I mean, I did the formal interview, but you know, give us your version of that story. Set us straight. Who you are, what are you all about? Why, why are you in this business? What do you love about it? Sounds great. Yeah, I, I started, ironically, I think it was April 1st, uh, 1990. So I just uh, eclipsed my 28-year mark mm. uh, in the mortgage business. And uh, I started with uh, out knowing anything about mortgages, you know, as the joke is, didn't know how to spell mortgage, you know, the right way. And, um, and here I am today, 28 years later, and I love it. I mean, it's, uh, what gets me out of bed every day. Now, what I did 28 years ago and what I do now is totally different. Hmm. Um, when I first started, um, I started with Majestic Mortgage and Tom Ward mm-hmm. and, uh, joined shout Majestic. Yeah. Shout out to Tom. Uh, as I always say, I wouldn't be where I'm at today without Tom Ward. Yep. Uh, we talked about that the other day. And then Tom uh, merged with Cherry Creek uh, back in 2005 or 2006, I want to say. So I was with Tom for 15, 16 years and then have been with Cherry Creek uh, the last 12. So 
same phone number. I've had the same phone number for 28 years. Hmm. And, uh, you know, it's this industry, we tend to jump around a lot. Uh, I found that, uh, the grass is, you know, always greener on the other side of the fence. If I just had the right tools, which I had at Majestic and now have at Cherry Creek, just to stay here and do my thing. So where's it? You said, you said you found that the grass is always greener on the other side. Well, yeah, let me rephrase that. Right. You know, the talk is that the grass is always greener on the other side. And, uh, I found that the grass is pretty fine where I'm at, as long as I have the tools that I need. Mm. And then it then it's up to me to just get it done and just I, I don't look forward to reinventing the wheel and you know having a new logos new phone numbers new emails and all that kind of stuff um, mm. too much work agreed agreed I, I a saying that I heard once that stuck with me was uh, the grass is greener where you water it there you go. I like it. I like right, it. So, so, so speaking of Tom, um, shout out to Tom. He was on the podcast before you guys can look that up. I don't know the episode, but I'm probably gonna have him back, but it was probably a year ago. Anyway. So you're with Tom for a long time, 15 years, roughly. And he was, uh, you told me a mentor of his, what are some of the, the greatest lessons you've learned while under Tom? Well, I think it's important to talk about Tom. Tom owned three century 21s at one time. Mm-hmm. And he, was upset with the quality of service he was getting from the mortgage industry. The guy decided to start his own mortgage company, mm-hmm. you know, back in, back in the late eighties. And then he finally got an offer to sell the, the century 21s he had at the time and just stay focused on the mortgage part. And that's when I came into the company in 1990. So the, the unique thing about Tom being a realtor, no one, no realtor wanted to give him any leads because they were afraid he was going to steal their leads. Yeah. So we didn't work with realtors. We worked with builders. Builders was really our unique selling proposition back then, all the value that we can help with their clients over the six month of the build process. Hmm. So I never really worked closely with realtors because of that. I have over the years, but it just never was. It was more of, you know, working with builders Mm -hmm. and that's what started it. And then everything went dry. And that's when we'll talk a little bit about my new life in this industry and what I'm doing now. But Tom, Tom taught me a lot. Um, every loan is not a good loan. You know, that you have to say no to loans. Uh, taking loan applications is, is not what you should be focused on. You should be closing them. And mm. uh, more loans is not necessarily good. Mm. Um, importance of profit, importance of margin, mm-hmm. um, you know, to be very profitable. Um, as I always say, I'd rather do two loans um, and make the same amount that you're making when you do four loans. Mm-hmm. I mean, why? Why would I want to have double the stress, double the labor? you know, double the deadlines, double the amounts of lawyers and realtors and appraisers and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> so just, you know, not that we're gouging people, but you'll see as we finish up the conversation of the value we bring to the table so that we don't have to worry about cutting our margins. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So that's, I think some good lessons there, right? Which is um, take good business in, right? I like what you said about it. It's not just about taking an app. It's, is it about, is it a good, good loan, good quality loan? And a lot of that. Yeah, comes- I don't want to just. I don't want to just do loans. It's not what I'm here for. It's a higher calling than that. So, hmm. just taking in loans and throwing them against the wall, which is you know, and sees what sticks, which is pretty much accepted in our industry. I've never been a fan of that. So it's a higher calling for you. Tell tell us more about that. What do you mean? Why is it more than that? Well, I think this is a good time to talk about the segue. Um, where my business totally changed, and it had a change as everything was starting to go away. Uh, builders that we were calling on. As we peaked out in 2005, 2006, I mean, 
builders were having waiting lines to open up doors. They were having lotteries for people to buy homes. There was no need for our USPs anymore, you know, of helping, right. helping advise, you know, advise consumers the value of home ownership and in the building arena. That wasn't needed anymore. So we were a dime a dozen. Now it became who wrote the biggest check to pay the builder for marketing and what have you that was going to get the loans. And that's when I knew that just wasn't meant to be. We were in a, you know, have you ever read that book, Blue Ocean Strategy? I have not yet, but I know it, yes. And and they just talk about, you know, fighting in that red pond versus, you know, looking out and seeing the blue ocean. And that's where we were at. And I needed to make a change. And I was lucky enough to come across a gentleman by the name of Rick Edelman. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you don't know who Rick Edelman is, look him up. Uh, he could be the single greatest advocate of the mortgage industry. And, and it amazes me because the mortgage industry doesn't realize it. Um, Rick is an investment advisor out of Fairfax, Virginia. Uh, his firm has been going on for 30 years now. His firm's been open. Uh, they currently have 43 offices across the country. Uh, they manage assets around $22 billion for 35,000 families. He's grown this from nothing to this huge thing. Um, why he's so important and why I heard about him and why he changed my mortgage career was that he wrote a white paper in 1988 that said, don't pay off your mortgage. Get a big mortgage and pay the minimum on it. Get a 30-year fix. Don't do a 15-year. Don't do a 20-year. Don't do a bi-weekly. Get a 30-year mortgage. Pay the minimum. And all that extra discretionary money you wanted to throw at the mortgage, invest that money into your 401k at work. Pay off bad debt grow your rainy day fund. Those are more important than you paying off your mortgage. Hmm. So that's when I found him, it was eye opening to me. I'd been in the industry 15 years. I'd had a great career. And now I got this guy saying, Hey, what you've been telling people is not necessarily wrong. It's just that you need to look at this holistically. Um, don't have the mortgage conversation in a silo all by itself hmm. because a good mortgage decision may be a bad financial decision for somebody. You've got to take that mortgage decision out of the silo and you've got to have a holistic financial conversation with somebody to make sure that the mortgage they choose is going to complement their financial planning and what they're trying to accomplish holistically with their financial plan. Exactly. Exactly. As a matter of fact, that, that we're, we're here now in the sweet spot. Let's start unpacking this because what really brought me back connected to you was, a, uh, I think, a post on Facebook in the Mortgage Coach uh, Productivity Group there. It was some type of specific comment or just a dialogue that you had. Do you recall what that was? Because I'll try and pull it up. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, no. Someone had talked about the shrinking margins that we're facing in this industry, which we're all seeing. I'm seeing it. We've seen it many times in my 28-year career. We're seeing it again. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of people that are making nothing to do alone. Right. Um, so we're seeing it everywhere. And, and everybody's doing it. Small shops and big shops are, are giving it away because the refinances, they, I look at refinances differently. But they think refinances are gone, so we, you know, we're going to have a contraction in volume. So we really got to start giving away to get people in the door to do loans with us. So we're seeing that happen, and there was just the discussion about that. And my comment on it was, you know, the importance of price versus advice. Uh, I think that's a Todd Duncan saying, and mm-hmm. and and Tom Ward and I at Majestic, we 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 absorb that too and embrace that. I should say that. You know, are you you have to really decide? Are you the price person where you're going to give everybody the best price, or are you an advice person? And you have to pick your poison. You you got to go down that path. You can't be both. You got to pick one or the other. So there was this discussion and banter going around. And about a week later, after that that thread, I had a client call me. I was the fourth mortgage company 
that they had talked to. It is a past client of mine's daughter, and they're looking to buy their existing condo in, in the city of Chicago. The owners decide to sell it. They want to buy it a little bit ahead of schedule because they didn't plan to buy this soon, but now they live in it, so they got to make this quick decision. And they have decided before they talked to me, they were going to put 10% down. And as I go through all the numbers, they're talking about to get a gift from their parents. And I'm going, well, this doesn't add up. Why would you put 10% down if you don't have the money and you got to get a gift from your parents to do this? Why don't you put 5% down? And I was the first out of the four people they talked to, I was the first one to let them know they could buy a home with, with only putting 5% down on a conventional loan and have that all be gift. Nobody else mentioned it because all the other ones were order takers and all they were doing is just when they came to them and said, I want to do 10% down, they would go, here you go. Here's what we can do for you. Mm-hmm. So right away, they're like, wow, that's so much better. Then we don't have to worry about you know, feeling bad that we're taking that much money from our parents. And guess what? The parents are taking the money out of investments and the parents don't have to take that much out of investments now. Wow. And that's when it rolled. Yeah. And it came down to where... The first company they talked to had a rate of 4.625, and I'm quoting 5.125. And they chose me because, one, I package everything with no lender fees. Mm-hmm. But at a half a percent higher interest rate, they liked the fact that I was finally were the ones that were educating them to show them options that no one else talked to them about because they wanted that 5% down. Now, mm-hmm. obviously, they went back to the first guy, and he now honored it, but it was too late. Too late in that he couldn't get the deal done, or meaning they just went with you? No, too late because they lost faith in them and they lost trust in them. They oh, lost right. value in them because why didn't you tell us that? Why did somebody else have to tell us that? So they ultimately chose you at a half a point higher because you gave them educated them. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. That's that, 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 those are lessons there. And it's funny people often, you know, we throw that term around loosely sell advice versus price, but that in is a textbook case study on how you do that. So, all right, we've got, we got loan officers listening to this. Just heard you right there. We've got varying levels of experience. We've got people, vest, you know, uh, veterans like you. And then we've got some new people, as I know, because I get the emails. <laughs> so how do you, you, you've got a new, you know, a year or less loan officer in the business. How are you coaching them to become more of a, um, you know, advisor? What's the term you, you use? Fiscal literacy. Right. It's funny. I'm not a smart guy. Oh, I come on, smart. Ed. You sure are. You're a smart Irishman. <laughs> <laughs> After a couple of beers, we think we're smarter. But, <laughs> but I mean, we mentioned two huge mentors to me, Tom Ward yeah. and now Rick Edelman. Mm-hmm. I find, find people that make it work and do what they've done. We don't have to reinvent this. Uh, I think another one over the years, too, that is the same one is like Greg Frost, you know, in our mm-hmm. industry where he's like, I've failed so many times. I've screwed up so many times. I'm not going to tell you what I screwed up on, but I'm going to tell you what I did and did work. So just do that. Don't try to reinvent the wheel. <laughs> and, and, I, and that's the case. I'm not reinventing the wheel. So when Rick Edelman and I started to really understand each other back in 05 and 06, and, and I was sharing this with you, you know, it, it, our industry had this storm of Douglas Andrew in his book, right. uh, Missed Fortune. Mm-hmm. And it was revolutionary because it really made us teach about equity and home equity and understanding the power of money elsewhere versus just sitting in our house. But right. the only problem that I disagreed a little bit with Douglas Andrew is he wanted to put that into whole life insurance products, which he gave a fancy title of guaranteed life insurance contracts or something like that from a marketing perspective. Right. And then I heard Rick Edelman with an interview with Stephen Marshall and it blew me away. I think it was 05 or 06. And um, that's when I reached out to him right away because he was the first one to talk about the importance of diversification and 
liquidity and having your money working for you and how interest rates are cheap and tax deductible and a mortgage should be looked at as a financial tool, not as a debt. And that got me to pick up the phone and reached out to him. And he was kind enough to set an appointment with me and we spent 20 minutes that changed my life. But why I'm saying all this is because I've just copied what he does. And all he does with all his financial advisors is educate consumers. That's mm-hmm. all they do. And they do it at a basic level using analogies to help people understand a tough subject of money very simply. And in fact, what their goal is, is to talk at a fourth grade level so everybody gets it. So all I do and all I would recommend anyone to do that is just starting off or somebody that's struggling or just wants a change where they're not focused on having to worry about every realtor, you know, giving them business and they don't like realtor business anymore. They want to just go direct to the consumer is fiscally educate people. Mm-hmm. And this is bigger than the mortgage. So it's a money discussion. But if we can teach them the importance of putting away the most in their 401k, staying out of bad debt and having a rainy day fund and managing their mortgage so that they have the discretionary money to accomplish those goals and teach this fiscal literacy, people need it. They don't have it today. And that's where you're going to have it become not a mortgage thing anymore. It's a money thing. And then you're the one that's helping them facilitate this, this tool, the mortgage. I love it. I agree 100%. Um, because as you know, today, it's all about positioning ourselves as a, as a thought leader. And, you know, to speaking of mentors, Gary Vaynerchuk, you probably know who he is, but, right. uh, you know, he, he teaches real estate agents that today you're no longer a realtor, you're a media company and your back end is real estate. And I think the same is true for home officers. You know, like I look at, I, you, I couldn't I, agree with more. I'm looking at your videos on your Facebook page, uh, Cherry Creek Mortgage at Ed Carnegie. You guys can look that up. I'll put a link in the show notes. But you've recently also got into video, I think, as a means for uh, financial education, right? Yeah, it's just every time I learn something new, it's my duty and obligation to share it with others and my pleasure to do it, to just educate. Uh, I was sharing with you, I think I shared this with you when we were talking a couple weeks back about there's a survey of the states that's done. Every two years, they do a survey of states, and it's ironically 50 states and the District of Columbia, so it's 51, Mm. to see out of all of those states, who's requiring testing of personal finance in K through 12. And the last one that I think was done in 2016, there's only 17 states. So 17 out of 51 require any kind of personal finance testing K through 12. Hmm. Wow. So consumers are not smart. Yeah. Fiscally, money. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they're not smart fiscally, uh, and I think you and I talked about this before. If we were to go around and ask consumers in a mall, you know, hey, what's better when you're getting a mortgage, five or four point eight? They're all going to answer the four point eight because they remember how you know four point eight is less than five when they were doing that in grade school, so they know that that's right. So that's what they gravitate to because that's all they know. They don't know about fees or closing costs. You know, should they do a fifteen versus a thirty? They don't know that. Every dollar they don't put in their 401k, it's getting taxed. So they only have 70 cents on the dollar. So they're losing 30% of their money there. So we've got to be the ones that have to educate them on this. Absolutely. Okay. So what I'm thinking is this, I'm thinking the audience is listening right now. And the thought that's going through their head is, all right, I agree. Um, How do I have time to self-educate myself and deal with all the other stuff that's going on in my business? Right. What are some resources? How does Ed self-educate himself? You know, what would you recommend there? Yeah, no, and, and that's the key. And if you go back to when I first talked to Rick Edelman back in 05 or 06, I got to pull up the exact date, but it was one of those years. 
I was a really bad fiscal literate at the time myself. And probably the problem was, is I probably thought I knew more than I did. And you talk about getting humbled <laughs> in regards to, holy cow, you know, I didn't know that much. But then it became empowering both personally, because now I know what I needed to do. I know how I needed to save for myself and my family, what I needed to do to create wealth and provide for them so that I was financially secure. I needed to learn all that. Because again, I was part of that seven, I was not one of those 17 states that required testing on it. So I didn't have the fiscal literacy. Uh, I came from a big family where we survived. I had seven brothers and sisters. So I always talk about, we didn't know what stocks were. We knew what storks were, (laughs) but but not stocks. So I I didn't grow up with the silver spoon in my mouth. I had to learn it all. So I had to learn it. So it's not like Ed was really smart. And again, I'm, I'm not, I had to learn it all. So the best resource that's out there is the guy we just mentioned. It's Rick Edelman. The guy's written 10 books on personal finance, all of them top, top, all of them top New York Times bestsellers. His first book is the book that you want to pick up and read. It's the truth about money. Mm-hmm. He literally goes through this book and just tells you everything you need to know about money, start to finish. You name it, it's in that book if it has a dollar sign in front of it. That's and awesome. that's what I picked up and it's on its fourth version now. So make sure you get the, the fourth version because obviously... I think the first one he did was in the uh, late 80s. And obviously, the yeah. rules of money change over time. Mm-hmm. Ironically, that's the name of another book that he has. So I just, everything that I could get about Rick Edelman, I digested it all because he's out there as this person that's out there, consumer, you know, educating consumers with, with fiscal literacy. Hmm. So become a student of, of fiscal literacy. Of money. Yeah, of money. Yeah, there you go. Student yeah. Money. Be a student of money. Don't be a mortgage person. Be a money person. It's so much bigger than the mortgage. It's funny. I mean, we're, we just, again, like Rick says, is we just want to make this decision of 4.8 versus 5 because it's such a, you know, you can't be wrong in that equation. 4.8 is less than 5. That's 100% right. You know, that old saying, if you argue with math, you will lose. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's where people go to so that they're right in making their decision. What they're doing, though, is they're ignoring all the other stuff. Well, you know, not us- putting money away in your 401k so that you have more money to get a 15-year fixed is a financial mistake. But they don't know this until we teach them that. How do you, though, represent that? Because it's one thing to say it, right? Then how do you, you know, the old saying, right, you know, I'll, I'll believe it when I see it. Or if you're in Missouri, it's a show me state, right? So right. How you, if you're going to say, you know, it's a mistake to do a 15-year versus re- reallocate that to a 401k, <clears throat> how do you, you know, how do you get people on board with that? Exactly right. So when somebody calls, you can't say what I just said, right? That, you know, what do you mean? You know, that's, that's confrontational. So you have to just say to them, so you're looking at doing a 15-year fixed. And here's the, and this even came in on that thread, was the best question that any of us can ask a consumer is why. Mm. That's it. Why? You want to do a 15-year fix? Why? Mm. You want to do 10% down like I had with, that, with, with how I won that deal? They, all I ask them is why? Well, I thought we had to do that. Well, you thought wrong. <laughs> you don't have to. So it's just asking them why. So if they come and say, I want to do a 15-year fix, why I don't want to have a mortgage in retirement, right? That's sort of the answer. It's like, well, let me ask you a, a, a more important question is, do you max out the 401k that you have available to you at work today? Do you carry any debt month to month? That's bad debt, high interest credit card debt, personal loans, you name it, all that high interest, non-tax deductible debt stuff. Do you carry any of that debt month to month? 
do you have money? Do you have cash? So if the roof leaks or the car breaks down or an appliance goes out on you, do you have cash? You need to have, we believe, a six to 12 month fixed expense rainy day account in cash, just savings, checking, CD, or money market. So do you have all these? Now, if the person says, yes, hey, Ed, I maxed out my 401k last year. It's 18500 this year, and I'm going to put the same amount in this year. I don't have any credit card debt that carries month to month. In fact, I'm debt free. I don't owe anything. And I've got 12 months set aside in my rainy day account. So 12 months of fixed expenses, then go for it. Go do your 15. You don't need me. Hmm. But here's the thing. The number one thing that we require or we recommend our clients to do to be getting to financial security faster is max out their 401ks at work. Only 6% of U.S. workers do that today. Mm -hmm. So that's another survey they do every couple of years. And they find, and it's pretty steady every year if you look at it for the last 10 years, that really doesn't change, that only 6% of U.S. workers will max out the maximum they can put into their 401k. Now, that's not the maximum to meet the company match. That's the maximum the IRS allows you. So if you're younger than 50, that number today is 18,500. And if you're 50 or older, that number is 24,500. Yeah, I'm falling short myself. There you go. <laughs> Look at that. Hmm. Because here's the thing. Every dollar you don't put into your 401k gets taxed, both federal and state. And on average, you're going to lose 30% of it. Now, that's a little different with the tax reform that we had, but it's a good rule of thumb. So every dollar that you've got that you're not taking and putting in your 401k and you take out as income, it's only 70 cents. So now you're trying to create wealth with 30% of your resources just lit up. Hmm. So it's very interesting as I'm listening to this, I'm sure listeners as well, right? I think the the chair you want to put yourself is is, on the receiving end of this is the, the buyer who like in your case, Ed, right? We know buyers are probably multi-apping you today more than ever before because it's so much easier, right? So how are you going to win that business when they come in, like you said, from the start of our conversation, when they are conditioned to you know, think, oh, well, 4.8 is lower and better than five. Right. Well, then how do you, because this is, this is often what I hear. We talk, hey, price versus advice. How do you pivot that conversation though? But to your point is it, it starts with asking questions and getting it. I like what you said at the start is getting the mortgage conversation out of that silo of rate and yes. mortgage. Yes. Yeah. Well, and it's funny because we're trying to go to speed, hmm. you know, with, with um, rocket mortgage and right. there's somebody else that's out there that's throwing speed out there. And that's great. I get it. I understand it. But the problem with it is, is it's not about speed. It's about putting the people in the best financial position that they can be in. Well, and that's a key differentiation. See, the loan officer though has to have that mindset. Well, they, they need to have the knowledge. See, I think the biggest weakness is that why I was not good at it, because I wasn't good at it myself. I didn't have the personal financial fiscal literacy myself. So what I had to do is do the exercise to, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I had to work out. I had a financially or fiscal literacy workout yeah. to get to where I'm at. And I got to keep working out every day. Hmm. Rick Edelman does a podcast. Well, he does a radio show every weekend that's syndicated across the country. And then he turns it into a podcast and it's on their website or on iTunes mm-hmm. Monday or Tuesday. It's about two hours long because it's a two-hour radio show and you cut out the commercials. It's a little bit less than that. Right. I, I listen to that every single week. Hmm. And I've done that for 10 plus years. Yeah, this will be my longest uh, show note link podcast in history, I think. 
because so far, <laughs> so far I've got like five links in there. So, <laughs> so for you listeners, this is awesome. This is a total resource package. Um, yeah, that's it's very especially for new new people, younger people coming into the business that maybe you know don't have the same bench or the background. They don't have that financial literacy training, right? And you and I talked about this before, um, and this was part of that thread too. The push button mortgage. Uh, you know, if we are getting, if margins are getting pushed and it's getting more competitive and, you know, people are willing to lose money sometimes to win deals, right? How do we win? How do we win more often? And it's going to come back to that advice. If you can control the conversation and capture their attention with something to educate them on, teach them something. There you go. You just hit the nail on the head. Mm -hmm. We just need to teach them something they don't already know. Mm-hmm. If we teach them something that they don't already know that's in their best interest, that's going to improve them, especially if it's going to help them out financially to get to financial security faster, we're not going to win every deal, but we're going to win 70, 80, 90% of those deals. Because there are people that will take my advice and go somewhere else. It happens. There's nothing you can do about that. But most people don't because they want to stay with you because they understand that after the loan closes, they want to call you with other questions that you're going to be able to help them with that aren't mortgage questions, that are money questions. I think I asked you that before is because we know there's a certain percentage of the market. Okay, you got your 850 FICO engineer working at the big tech company who's making you know six figures and he's got you know money in the – he knows he's a paper, right? Right. Are, are you saying that you're, you're you know, you, you accept you're going to lose X percentage of those types of clients? If, yeah. If he's maxing out his 401k and doing all the right things, what I can't teach him anything. If he already knows it, I can't help him. Well, how about not even that, where it's like, you know, somebody, because I'm sure you get these calls, somebody, they, they just know they're a rock solid. I'll give you an example. If my, if my brother's listening, forgive me, Brian. But so, <laughs> you know, more analytical, knows, knows the game, so to speak. And all he cares about is the lowest rate because he knows, dude, I got my whole, I've already, I just know I want a 30 year fixed. I want the lowest fee, lowest cost. You know, that's all I care about. Yeah, as long as they're fiscally smart and I can't teach them anything, there's not much I can bring to the game. So they've they're, they're, they've rewarded themselves by knowing all that, that they don't need me and they can just go find someone, you know, that will do it for nothing. Do you? Well, here's a question. Do you think, though, that the average consumer um, looks to the loan officer as being fiscally knowledgeable? No. No way. Hmm. And when I start asking people questions about maxing out their 401k and do they carry bad debt month to month and do they have six to 12 months in cash after the closing? They're like blown away. I mean, no one's, I become sort of like their blue collar financial planner mm-hmm. that it's sort of like they've never had a financial planner before. They have just been trying to do it on their own mm-hmm. and they've been able to get by, but they're not making their money work for them the best. Mm-hmm. Like I said, they want to grow their wealth, but, they take their 401k is they don't put it in the 401k. So they take that income and right away they're losing 30% of their investing power. Give me a sense of, if you can, of, uh, you know, people are conditioned to call you up and just go, Hey Jeff, or I'm sorry. Hey Ed, this is Jeff. Yeah. I got your referral from, you know, Susie Q over at the Remax real estate. She said, I should call you. So yeah. Uh, what's your interest rate? You just got to take a step back. Mm-hmm. So he's in the silo, right? Mm-hmm. It's almost like, what is that death, you know, like that, what's that WWF thing where you have the <laughs> cage fighting or whatever? Oh, yeah. Cage match, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it's like that right away, that guy's in the cage match with you and you got to get him out of the cage. Mm. So you just got to take a step back and just say, hey, what's going on, Jeff? 
tell me a little bit about your situation. Do you own something now or do you rent? What are you looking to buy? How much are you looking to put down? Where's that money coming from? You just got to start to peruse to say, okay, yeah, you're, you're fine. Everything you're saying is fine. But how many people will say, like with the 10% for the 5%, you know, I'm going to liquidate my 401k to get that money. No, that's the worst thing you could do. Let me explain to you why. So we really got to start to make sure that they know what they're doing. Again, it's not an egotistic thing that I know more than other people with money. So mm-hmm. it's not that. It's just that, unfortunately, I spend so much time that I do know a lot about money that I need to make sure that the people are doing it the right way. If I get the loan or not, I just want to make that person's not putting themselves into a worse position. Mm. I, I think financially, for, yeah, financially. For, the, for those that want the quick hit, I think it's what you, we said before it's, is if you can educate them on one thing they didn't know before that's in their that's best the key. interest. And, and I got to find it. So what I got to do is I got to I had one with a guy that's like, yeah, Ed, I already maxed out my 401k. And I go on, how old are you? I'm 53. I go, so you put in $24,000. He goes, no, I only put in 18,000. That's the max wise guy. You know, he didn't say it, but that's how I came <laughs> back. And that's what I had to come back to him and say, you're mistaken. There's something called the catch-up clause. Let me just educate you on that. Boom, boom, boom. And you got to do it. I mean, it's not this, it's not the way that's coming off now. And yeah, you yeah, can't yeah. do it condescending. You just, you got to let them know. And he's like, are you serious? I, my account never told me about that. Mm. That's where his words. And I said, sometimes it just gets lost or they think you yeah. know it and you don't. And I'm just this guy that's just making sure that you know all the things that are out there that are working for you. Mm. And he's like, wow, I can now... And, and I don't remember the exact situation, but just think if that was the guy that was going to go to the 15, now he can go back to a 30, cut his payment, and now he's got the money he needs to do to put that extra $6,000 into the 401k. Mm. And, and this goes without saying, it's obvious, but what does this, the, this style of conversation do to build trust, which is really what we want to achieve? Correct. Yeah. It's, it, and that's what it's all about. You know, trusted advisor gets thrown around a lot. I don't know if Todd Duncan was the first one to throw that out or who did. It doesn't matter. But that's what we're looking for is someone that they know is looking out for their best interest. And you've proven that, you know. And what we have to do, like we said, is identify where there's some area that they don't know that we can just plant the seed and educate them on. And then th- that just shows that, hey, this guy's not trying to sell me anything. He's trying to educate me. Yeah. That's good stuff. All right. So real quickly, let's transition to talk about um, your sources of business. Um, if I remember correctly, you're pretty strong with past clients. Yeah, past. Well, and it's fortunate. I mean, all those builder loans that we did for 15 years, I've been in touch with everybody, you know, over all the years. No, it's not fortunate. Um, you, it's very intentional because you know as well as I do, <laughs> a lot of LOs have no past client database that have been doing it 20 years. Yeah, and it's just sad. I mean, I read a book a long time ago, and again, this was a majestic book. Uh, Tom Ward picked it up, and then he recommended all of us called The One-to-One Future. And basically, it just talks about how market share is not important. Share customer is important. Mm. You know, who cares about market share? It's share customer. That's what's important. And learn that from the get-go. And, you know, just that's what I focus on is just taking care of that client and not letting them go and staying on top of them and always being there. Well, well, what do you do proactively then to, you know, scrub the past clients to, to generate business? Always pulling reports, always making sure. So my tagline is making sure that clients have the lowest mortgage payment possible. Okay. Because if I can get you the lowest mortgage payment possible, then it frees up cash flow for you to hit those other areas in that holistic financial picture that you need to be putting more money towards. 
retirement, saving for the kids' college, paying off bad debt, growing the rainy day fund? Well, let me let me get more specific for, for my intent with that question. I know you're a busy guy. How do you structure that activity into your calendar? Are you time blocking past client calls or what does that look like? Well, I see what you tell. Pulling reports um, and on a regular basis going through five, obviously as interest rates fall, uh, I've got an automated system. Uh, I'll, I'll put a shout out for Optimal Blue here. Mm-hmm. Optimal Blue has an amazing system that will track interest rates. So when I close a client, uh, and this is a great sales feature up front. I always say, I'm going to get you the, you know, the best I can get you today, but don't worry about it because I have an alert system that when you close the next day, I set up an alert. And if rates fall 50 basis points, I'll send you an email automatically. It will watch the market minute by minute, day by day. So we'll get you the best today, but then don't worry about it. We're going to get you the best throughout you being in the life of this house. And Optimal Blue has an awesome system where you're able to set all that up, takes a second to do, and then it's just watching their profile. And the minute that the market allows us to hit that, it sends out emails. So setting that up for every client is a must. And then um, just going through you know, people that have MI right now, that I can either go to LPMI or get them out of MI, getting people out of FHAs to conventionals. So everything, just any way I can save somebody $100. Think about this. If I can save someone $100, mm-hmm. that's $150 before taxes. Okay. Because remember, if you take out $150 of income, instead of putting in your 401k, you're going to only be left with 100 bucks after it's taxed. Mm-hmm. So $100 on a savings for a mortgage is 150 that you can now put in your 401k. $150 compounding at 8% over 30 years is $225,000. Are you having that kind of conversation with people? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. So again, back to being fiscally literate. Right. You got to understand the power of money and how money works. Right. This is what this is the industry we're in. We are <laughs> we are selling money. We used to say that, you know, when we were single, right. you know, that'd be a line, you know, what do you do for a living? I sell money. <laughs> <laughs> How's that working for you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And people be like, you know, whoa, hey, what's going on? Tell me more about that, you know? <laughs> that could even be a Tom Ward line now that I think about it. But, I sell you money. know, but that's what we do. We sell money. Yes. And we sell tax deductible money. Think about it. We sell the only debt that's still tax deductible. Can't do it with credit cards anymore. Reagan took that away, took away mm-hmm. auto loan interest deduction. That's gone. Mm-hmm. Mortgage interest is only tax deductible. And in and, and high states where we've lost, High tax states where we've lost the salt in the property tax cap at ten thousand. Mortgage yeah. interest is more important than ever. Mm-hmm. You really regret paying off your mortgage now if you paid it off and not have that write off anymore with the tax changes. Mm-hmm. So we sell the only debt that's tax deductible. We sell money, and if you don't understand money in its holistic sense, and you're just having that conversation in the silo, no wonder they're shopping you, and no wonder you're in a competition because. We're not educating them on the much bigger picture. How you handle your mortgage is going to impact all those other areas that we talked about. Do you have any, I'm just curious, you may not because you know, you've been doing this so long, it's just natural for you. But I know some, some loan officers like to use a, a, like a script at the beginning that's a point of differentiation when you're first meeting a client that you know, tries to keep it out of the silo that you know, something that sounds like uh, you know, uh, I'm not like most other loan officers and here's what I mean by that or you know, anything you know what I'm getting at there? I don't anymore. I did at the time, but now yeah. it's just repetition. You know, I've got, I was telling you before, I'm at the office today and, and I got a TV, so in the background I got the masters on. 
And these guys are so good, right? Because mm-hmm. of how much time they put in. Right, right. So why I'm really fluid with this stuff like I am, I've had this conversation hundreds, if not thousands of times. Mm-hmm. And the first couple of times, you know, I wish we would have taped them and gone back. It would have been embarrassing. It'd be like looking at yourself, you know, as a freshman in high school or something. You'd laugh, you know, yeah. I didn't have a clue, <laughs> but you had to start. And then you just get better and better and better over time. That's true. Yeah. Just it's like riding a bike, man. You got to just, you know, do right. it. Yeah. I'm watching that. They got mm-hmm. the TV on the background now and they got the range. They got all these pros, right? They're all on the range. They're showing, uh, what's his name? Yannick Stenstrom or whatever his name is. And mm-hmm. he's out there. He's hitting balls. This guy's a pro. He's a professional. He's won majors, but look at, he's working on his game. It's pretty amazing when you think about that from an analogy standpoint. And it kind of reminds me of that old story. I think it was from Ted Williams and the Red Sox, if, if I'm correct, if that was the example where, you know, somebody, or it could have been a golfer, you may know better than me, but uh, somebody, you know, basically said, gee, I really wish I could hit like you do. And he turns it, I'm like, no, you don't, because you're not willing to, you know, hang in here and swing right. the club until your hands right. are bloody. Exactly right. <laughs> Exactly. We all want that. We all want success, but we don't want to put anything in, unfortunately. And, and I say that in general. I say that in general. Bird was that way. I think Bird, he used to like, he had yeah. to hit 100 free throws in a row before he would leave the practice. He'd, he'd be the last one on the floor every single time because he wouldn't quit until he hit 100 in a row or something like that. It's crazy. That's the other one I heard the other day. Uh, everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. <laughs> or do the things on, or to do the things that you need to do on earth to get to heaven. <laughs> right, right. Exactly. So going back to what you said, so past clients, past yeah. client referrals, huge part of my business. Okay. Um, one of the big things, aha moments came is when Rick Edelman said to me, you need to be a fiscal literate. You need to have holistic conversations with clients. So you got to get really smart. And, and what I'd recommend you to do, Ed, is I'd recommend you to actually become an investment advisor. Go out and get your mm-hmm. Series 65 and become an investment advisor so that you know it. And then you have a personal license now so you can give fiscal advice and financial advice because you have a license to do so. Now, do you need a license to tell somebody to put all their money, you know, put the maximum away in their 401k or stay out of long-term debt or grow a rainy day fund? No, but if you really want to nail this, you really need to start to understand it all because there's deeper questions that come around and I want to answer those. I don't want to push them off on anybody else. I want to be the one that's managing that. So what Rick Edelman said to me is, here's my advice if I were you. I would stay licensed, obviously, as a NMLS mortgage advisor, but get licensed as a FINRA licensed Series 65. Therefore, you're an investment advisor. Therefore, you can give the advice. And if you do that, I'll make a deal. You refer clients to me since you're licensed, I can compensate you back mm-hmm. if they put assets under management with us. I'm a client, full disclosure, I'm a client of Rick Edelman's firm, Edelman Financial. So it was a natural segue to say, why wouldn't I refer people to the place that I'm at? What right. greater? And I researched everybody and I'm with Rick because he's the best, not because I'm getting money for it. Mm-hmm. And then it just made sense when people say, who should I manage my money with? Let me tell you about the number one advisor rated by Forbes three times as the number one, excuse me, rated by um, Barron's Financial Press three times as the number one advisor. And Forbes just last year named him the number three advisor in the whole country. Guy who's written 10 books on personal finance and their firms managing, you know, 35,000 families. And, oh, they don't have that high minimum either. I mean, you could place money with Rick with as little as $3,000. So 
these are these are the down to earth advisors that are helping just ordinary folks out there. So, are you saying for some listening that might be a, 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 an appropriate route for them to take as well? So, I created my own company, National Advisors Network, and it's open to anyone to join. If you want to get your Series sixty five, you can join National Advisors Network. Have your Series sixty five. So you can give the holistic advice and then you could be under um, iFirm National Advisor Network and you could refer to uh, Edelman Financial and get compensated for it. Hmm. And is there a yeah, website? Talk about another source of income. Yeah, right. Uh, so do you have a website for National Advisors Network? Uh, NationalAdvisorsNetwork.com. Very basic. Okay. But yeah, you can check that out. No, I'm asking because it's another show link you know, in the notes here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're going to try to break the record on, on links here. Oh, you got it already. No, but that's very interesting. Um, for those that are, of course, now I know for you, for percentage of business, realtors versus uh, like financial planners, advisors, you're working with some financial advisors, yeah? So what's cool about it is uh, Rick Edelman has offices locally in the Chicagoland area, two offices, mm-hmm. and then he's got two offices in Michigan. So they asked me to get licensed in Michigan since I'm not far. So I work with the Edelman advisors in those two arenas. I've picked my poison there and I've gone with Edelman Financial and not other advisors. I think it's a conflict of interest. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't want to ever be caught in a situation where they're accusing me of referring one of their mm-hmm. clients to Edelman. It would never happen. I would never breach that, but it's just not worth it. So I work with those advisors and then work with uh, my clients and just educating everybody I can. Um, my realtor base is very small. Um, I can name probably one or two that I get regular business from, and I don't even rely on any of that business. Um, one of the things, and I think I mentioned this to you before, one of the hardest things for me working with realtors is that when I talk to clients, I'm not trying to get them to buy a home or get a mortgage. What amazes me with all the people I know in the mortgage industry on Facebook is how a lot of times mortgage loan officers are trying to sell me a house. This is this open house that's going on today. You need to buy a home. Here's 12 reasons why it's better to own versus rent. All this stuff. You're trying to sell me a house. You're a mortgage person. You need to just handle the mortgage side. But instinctively in our industry, we think some reason we got to have people buy homes because we've equated if they buy a home, we're going to get a mortgage out of it. And you can't do that. You can't go in with that preconceived notion. You got to go in open-minded and saying, let's go through the finances here to see if buying a home is the right thing for you. Mm. Wait, you're thinking about moving in two to three years? That's the last thing you should be doing is buying a home. Mm-hmm. No way. The cost that you're going to have to pay to get out of that home to the realtor, the transfer tax, the attorney, the title fees, you'll never make it. Mm-hmm. And obviously, that's a little bit biased. I'm in Illinois where we're still below the case shiller home price index. We're still 18% below the case shiller home price index in 2006. So we're not growing you know, and getting back to where we need to be. So in Illinois, if someone bought a home in three years, they're not going to see that much appreciation, but they're going to have all these costs that they had to put in to buy the home and all the costs to sell the home and all the costs to maintain it while it's in there. So home ownership is the right thing over long periods of time. We usually, Rick Edelman's been saying for 30 years, you know, buy a home as long as you know you're for sure you're going to be in there five to seven years, preferably longer, so that those costs, you know, flatten out. There's many a times it's like, no way, I wouldn't recommend you buy today. You're going you're gonna to take all that money and put it in the house and be house rich and cash poor. What happens if the hot water heater goes out? Who's going to pay for it? Now you're going to go back into debt and it's going to be a spiral. So we have to be independent and objective looking out for their best interest. We can't just be doing rubber stamps, approved, 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 because it's payday, 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 payday. You can't do that. So I had it where with realtor relationships, 
when I really started to take on this role, they would refer me someone and I'd look through it and go, yeah, we could really get you an FHA loan. We could do duct tape and barbed wire, get you into this thing, but you're going to be house rich and poor and cash poor. And you're one appliance away from this starting to fall. And plus Mm -hmm. your housing cost is going to go up from where you're at today. And you haven't been able to save anything where you're at today. Hmm. No, that's, that's interesting. That's a great point. And I think that goes back to, you know, the, the fiscal literacy one, but also more importantly, uh, you know, having your client's best interests in mind above all else. So as a series 65, I have a fiduciary. Yes. I have a commitment and a vow that I have to give all interest in the best. I have to give all advice in the best interest of the consumer, my client first and foremost. And I carry that fiduciary over to my mortgage practice. And I believe that it, it does concern me sometimes when our industry fights that we should be looking out for the best interest of the client each and every time. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. And you've got it. And that best interest isn't what they can do today. It's what's over the long time. Uh, I heard something a long time ago that said as a professional, my, as a professional in a professional role, my job is to tell you what you need to hear, not what you want to hear. And mm-hmm. think of it as any professional doctor, you know, lawyer, whatever. I'm not going to tell you what you want to hear, but how many times do we do that? You know, or it's like, we want to tell them what they want to hear. We can't do that. We have to tell them what they need to hear because we need to make sure when they look up five or 10 years, they're better off with us helping them than worse off. Hmm. That's great advice. I agree hundred percent, man. Look, because look, that's just going to show up in, you know, the trust we create, the communication, the engage, even if they wind up, you know, saying or agreeing and saying, you know what, you're right. I've talked about it with my wife or whatever. And, uh, God, yeah, as much as we want to buy, we do think we need to wait a year or whatever. Uh, and, and they feel better with that decision than feeling pressured to get into a Amen. house that is going to pay off for you in referrals down the road. I just closed the loan uh, last week. They called me five years ago and they were living in the basement of their in-laws and it was terrible and they were commute. The commute was terrible. It was just, they were in a bad place, but they didn't have any money. And they, 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 these jobs they were in weren't their go-to jobs. They were just sort of working there to make income and they didn't say they hadn't any money saved. And it was just like, okay, here's what we need to do. You've got a goal to buy a home. I love it. Let's put you in on that goal, but let's do this. And I'd get a call from them every six to 12 months religiously, okay, it's time. And I'd go through and I go, no, it's not. You haven't done this, this, and this. Finally, it was time. They had saved up and now they have plenty of money to put down and they still have money left over. So they're not going to be house rich and cash poor. And he's like, I just want to thank you for stopping us every time we wanted to push it because we just wanted that Camelot. And that, that was going to be like, mm. that would solve the problems if we just were homeowners. And we've come to realize that it's the best thing that we didn't do because where we would have bought is probably... 50 miles away of where we actually are buying now and it wouldn't have worked. And if we would have bought and we would have been in a worse position and we would have took a, you know, we would have took the hit financially if we had a sell to come back up here. And, and I'm sure they were like, now, you know, Hey, Ed, we appreciate all the advice and the help over the years, but man, I mean, your rate's kind of high. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not at all. Right. They're like, just tell us what to do. Exactly. And the cool thing is, is don't worry about it. You know, get in now. And if rates fall, we'll refinance you down the road. And if they go up, you're going to be happy we did what we did when we did it. So right. it's, it's a no-lose situation. Yep. It's about, like, I love it. The fiduciary responsibility. It's about serving, you know, being a go-giver versus a go-taker. Um, 
All right, so we're out of time, but I wanted to get the the, the quick take, the uh, Ed Ed's uh, prediction, the future of the mortgage loan officer, and what does that look like, say three to five years from now, for those that are going to survive. Well, I, I I always said I'm a trendsetter. <laughs> My wife and daughters may well your may shamrock argue. suit sure proves that. No. There you go. There you go. <laughs> I really think what I'm doing. I'm very fortunate to have sort of fallen into this and, and met Rick and had him point me in the right direction because I think he's way ahead of his time. And um, he obviously was the one that said, you, you got to be more than the mortgage person. You got to be the money person. So I think that's it. I, I really think is because sort of to summarize what we've talked about here, because this is one of their biggest money decisions. And remember, I'm saying money, not mortgage. And that's what makes it different. You got to change that in your mind. But it's the one who can teach fiscal literacy to help people. I have a saying on my email. If you ever email me, you'll see it. That I don't believe the American dream is to merely own a home. You know, I think our industry, a lot of times, the real estate industry and the mortgage industry, we want to make that the American dream because that's our dream, right? Because if everybody's out getting out mortgages and take, you know, buying homes and taking out mortgages, we're going to get rich. Mm-hmm. No, the American dream is not to own a home. The American dream is bigger than that. It's to have financial security, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, think about it. Think of all the people that are lined up outside that convenience store, liquor store, or gas station when the mega ball gets really big. <laughs> they want financial security and they want it tonight at nine, you know, right. <laughs> when they pull the ball. <laughs> yeah. That they don't look at it and say, hey, I won $300 million. Now I got to go out and buy $300 million houses. No, it's not about the house. It's about the money. And I don't mean that in a negative way. It's just that financial security brings on the best. You know, they 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 say um, finance family dis- dysfunction comes number one reason is from finances. So if we can get finances and get people in great financial positions, then everybody's going to be better off. So yeah, the home is part of it. But when I came to the realization that's just one piece of the puzzle and it's not the whole puzzle, that's mm-hmm. when everything changed and you start looking out for the best interest of your clients, start saying, okay, we can do this, but let's just make sure we should be doing this because there's other fish to fry out there when it comes down to money. Right on, man. I love it. I love it. Big takeaways. Be fiscally literate. Get yourself educated so you can separate yourself by teaching the clients on the call one thing they didn't know before that's in their best interest. That, that for me is a real big takeaway here. And um, we're going to put all the links to the show notes in this. I think I'm counting, let's see, one, two, three, about eight <laughs> different show note links. That's awesome. Lastly, for anybody who wants to connect with you, what's the best way? Online, Facebook, what? Um, yeah, anyway. I mean, I, I, I think today we have to do a little bit of everything. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Facebook. Um, I, have, I don't really get into Twitter, but I know my Facebook posts link over to Twitter. Mm. Um, you know, obviously online, go to edconarchy.com or edconarchy.biz. It, it feeds the both places are the same. Mm-hmm. Um, you can even go to my website just to see how it's different. You know, how I'm, I'm right away, got a video there telling people what I'm doing, you know, that I am different and I'm not, you know, scared to say that I'm different, that I really want to have them teach this stuff differently. Um, I'd say that's probably the best. Go to edconarchy.com and all okay. my contact information is there. Drop me an email, uh, reach out by phone, phone numbers there, whatever. I answer my own phone. You know, I just, it's just, you know, I think a lot of times we get so like, think it's got to be so, I don't know, big picture in in our industry. You got to have all these assistants and all these people. 
And uh, again, I, like I said, I say this to you, I don't think it's about how much volume you do. Mm-hmm. It, it's about your margins and your profit. Totally. Yeah. What you said was, you know, you, and I forget the exact number of, of units or whatever, and we don't even use that. Hey, you talked about units. I hate to talk about this. Like what's your profitability? You're running a business. Yeah. Right. Um, I mean, but what the hell you've done like what? 4,000 loans in your lifetime. So. Well, and I just think that, yeah, that's a great number, but if I'm not making anything on those, so it just got to be a balance. You got to provide value yeah. and it's got to, like we said, price versus advice. You got to provide the value and in exchange is that you're going to get compensated for it, but you're, you're giving away more than what you're charging for. That's, that's for sure. Insane. Awesome. Well, listen, I appreciate your time. And uh, I know you're watching the masters. So I'm competing. for Yeah, your it goes live feed now. So I gotta, I gotta, <laughs> it goes live on ESPN now. So I gotta get on. <laughs> That's awesome. We appreciate you being here, man. And listeners, I uh, hope you enjoyed today's episode. As always, if you like it, please leave us a comment, a rating on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you're listening. And uh, all the links are going to be in today's show notes. So I do appreciate you guys for tuning in and we will see you on the next one. Thanks for listening to Mortgage Marketing Radio. Want more truth in mortgage marketing? Get more free training and resources at MortgageMarketingInstitute.com. Hey guys, what's up real quick. Uh, you've heard about the mortgage marketing pro membership before. And I just want to quickly remind you if that you're in a place in your business where you simply need more purchase loans, you need to fill your pipeline with purchase business. Let's just face it. Agents are still a solid pillar of business and sources of purchase business for you. Well, good news. Our Mortgage Marketing Pro membership helps loan officers like you close more loans without the hassle of chasing agents or cold calling. Done for you agent classes, expert training videos, a marketing automation platform that automates the entire process for you, everything you need to build your personal brand in your local market, attract and convert agents into referral partners, plus done for you proven marketing materials and plug and play content to make promoting your class, getting agents butts and seats, partnering with affiliates real easy. But that's not all. You'll also get access to our weekly mastermind calls with top LOs, authors, speakers, and coaches to learn the best strategies to grow your business right now in today's market. And as an extra bonus for a limited time, for all new members, you'll get access to a database of 200 agents in your local market that have closed anywhere to, from eight to 50 transactions in the last 12 months. And we'll provide that list upload into our platform for you so you can get off to a fast start in reaching actually productive agents. So what are you waiting for? You can check out more at mortgagemarketing.pro, see more of the success stories there. And if you feel compelled to do so, book a call. We'll have a chat. We'll see if it's a fit. Don't miss out on this opportunity to take your mortgage business to the next level right now. Head over to mortgagemarketing.pro.